All right. Good evening. We are live with the left lens. Uh, this is Danny Hai Fong. And again, you're tuning into the left lens in case YouTube is being slow. I am joined once again by Margaret Kimberly, who just got back from a very exciting trip trip to Nicaragua, uh, which I'm sure uh, may come up in the conversation today. But today we're going to have more of a broad conversation that I'm sure will go in many different directions with uh, someone that we both respect very much. And uh, I've been following her work, uh, both with Freedom Fighters DC and the Fred Hampton Leftist Network. And I'm just going to bring her right on so we can have this conversation. Uh, it's Afini. How are you doing, Afini? Hi. Super excited to be here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> excited to be in community with y'all. Excited to talk yeah. about things. <laughs> great to have well, you. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. It's great to have you. Well, well, let's begin. I mean, if you're watching this on Facebook or anywhere else, our Twitter on Black Agenda Report, go to the YouTube and drop a like, of course, and subscribe. Uh, but let's begin with this, Safina. You are an organizer, and you do a lot of work, and you and you really up mutual aid. Uh, yeah. Could you tell me why that's important? And in this moment where there there's a lot of conversation happening in the Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere on YouTube about some very critical issues, right? Race, the class struggle. It seems like everyone's talking about socialism these days. Uh, we saw the 2020 protests in the summer of 2020 around racist police uh, lynchings. So, but not a lot of conversations about organizing. They don't tend to get the clicks and the likes. Uh, so can you tell us what's important about organizing mutual aid and what some of the work that you're doing right now? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, just like any revolutionary organizer, I feel like we are all going to feel that mutual aid is super important. <laughs> um, the reason why I feel like mutual aid is super important is because, um, like author Dean Spade says, mutual aid is the vehicle to all social movements. So when you think about the ACT UP movement, you think about the medical clinics that were set up specifically to serve the gay community. You think about um, the bus boycotts during the civil rights era, people were carpooling. <laughs> You think about uh, the acupuncture clinics that the Young Lords and the Black Panther set up um, in order to provide drug intervention and other different um, and other things within their communities um, in New York. Um, so like, mutual aid is very important and it's it's crucial that anybody having uh, it's crucial that anybody being a part of the movement has the capacity to organize. And that means we have to meet their material needs. Um, it's very hard to organize when you don't know if your light's going to be on that month. It's very hard to organize. If your kids need to eat, it's very hard to organize if you don't have no shoes on. You know, how are you going to be a part of the revolution if you have no shoes? Um, so it's really just about taking care of each other, standing in solidarity with each other, and also lifting the individualized shame of poverty um, that is imposing us in this country because we're told over and over again that poverty is an individualized choice when actually poverty is a policy choice um, and that you shouldn't necessarily put all the blame on yourself to, to know that as a working class person that this system is just genuinely rigged against you. Um, so a big part of mutual aid also is the political education piece and the popular education. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Afeni, what is it that... Uh that you want people to know most about mutual aid? Is it, how does it differ from charity? I'll put it that way. Um, what, uh, what is it that makes it more empowering than the idea of charity? Yeah, you, can, you usually don't get a tax break from mutual aid. That's one of the biggest differences. Um, if you're getting any type of tax cut, it's probably not mutual aid. Um, but I think it's the, it's the real solidarity of it. it you know, people say that it has to be within your class, like you could only have class solidarity. There are plenty of class traders that could be doing mutual aid in, in substantial and real ways, <laughs> um, but they're just not. Um, Would you so, like to name who those are? I mean, let's say you're like a Tom <laughs> Hiker. <laughs> we can go down the list. We can go down the list of all the people that could be doing so much more. Um, Crystal Ball, uh, Ryan Graham, most of those people that make all of these big monies, um, 
being on the left and peddling left ideas that aren't actually supporting um, left social movements. And the thing about it is like, if you're not actually supporting mutual aid and bringing people into movement, because that's the most important part about it. It's, you know, it's a lot easier to bring to be in community with somebody when you sit down and you have a meal with them and you talk to them, you get to know them. And that's one thing I feel like is very different with mutual aid is like, it's the, it's the relationship that you're building while you're while you're having those political conversations and genuinely building community with the people that you're serving like i don't call like the unhoused folks that i do mutual aid like i provide mutual aid to like i don't call them you know unhoused people like they're my neighbors they're my friends they're they're human beings that just so happen to live on live in a tent on in my neighborhood instead of in one of these high-rise condos <laughs> that they have out in dc um so it's really just acknowledging that and just meeting people's material needs. Like people come and drop off food in neighborhoods and like food is important. Food is very necessary. But for all of the unhoused, all the un unhoused folks that we have that need drug intervention, like how are we meeting that material need? Because we can bring people food all we want. But if we're not providing drug intervention services and all those other things, then how are we get, bringing them up to the capacity to be able to organize? So I think, like, you know, I think that's one thing that's also very different <laughs> is, like, that when you're doing mutual aid and when you're serving your community in that way and doing direct aid, it's it's definitely more personalized, more individualized. It's not, it's not one size fits all. This aid fits this whole community. It's right. really genuinely meeting people's needs where they're, where they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what you were saying reminds me of what the Black Panther Party said when they created the uh, their survival programs. The slogan was survival pending revolution. And uh, that kind of slogan, or at least the spirit of that slogan, seems to be lost on many uh, on the left because it, there's this real divide that takes place where it, it's almost as if mutual aid or organizing is looked at as separate from the political education or separate from the process, right, of what journalists do, analysts do, what people on the left who are in this kind of space, media, for example, do, raise people's consciousness, expose criminality, expose the criminality of the system. I don't, you know, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Like, what is the connection between the two then? It, 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 because I feel like this is a very, I, I feel like it's a very misguided divide that that happens on the left where you have those who, uh, are, you know, and everyone has their role. Sure, you have the thinkers, the political educators, and you have the doers out there organizing. But at the same time, I feel like there's a big connection. Could you speak to that connection uh, a bit more in terms of your specific experience and maybe about your journey into politics and struggle? Um, absolutely. I think that a lot of that lack of connection between um, you know, the left and the revolutionary spirits of what a left movement actually looks like um, is the fact that we don't research or big up our freedom fighters in this country we talk about mlk but are we talking about george jackson <laughs> like yeah. we talk about you know we talk about malcolm x but we could also be talking about mumia who's an imprisoned journalist right who's in prison right now for being a journalist and being a freedom fighter like we could be talking about these things and as the left it's very important that we tie that we have these conversations that we that we teach our history to let people know that it is very possible to be a revolutionary in this society it's as much as they try to beat it out of you or they try to scare you out of it um i feel like there are a lot of people on the left that will tell you more about what the cia will do to you than they'll tell you about all of the different ways that inequality and inequity in this system are killing us daily anyway um they'll, they'll faster tell you you know that you'll get jail time for organizing a general strike then they'll tell you that the ocean was on fire so in about two or three years is it really going to matter <laughs> If there's no planet to organize on, to inhabit, to be safe on, like, you know, the sense of urgency is just not there. And I, that's like a lot of the issue that I'm having is that, you know, even myself, like I came into politics, um, I feel like I came into, a, uh, uh, to like pay attention to politics when I was 
younger than most folks. Um, me and my mom used to watch MSNBC every morning <laughs> um, before I went to school. So like, I'd always been a more like politically inclined person. Um, and then, you know, I graduated high school, went to the military, all that good stuff. And that's a radicalizing experience in and of itself. Mm. Um, so just decolonizing your mind and getting to a space where you can like, you know, there was a point in time where I wasn't really awake or I wasn't really aware of all the things that were happening, but it took time. It took a shift. It took, uh, you know, it took me actually educating myself and seeking out that education because people don't tell you <laughs> like real revolutionary black education anywhere in this country. They don't tell you real revolutionary education at all in this country um, for anything. <laughs> um, so like the more I grow as into this space as an organizer, the more I grow into the space as an abolitionist, um, really looking at how we could fundamentally and structurally change this system, the more I realized that so many of the views that I had before were just based off of me just genuinely being misguided and not having enough information. Yeah. Like there are people that do it maliciously that know, you know, and I would say at least 30% of this country are very, very aware and know, and they still participate. Um, and then there are like a majority of people that are just literally surviving <laughs> every day. So they don't really have time to think about what their role is in white supremacy and how they're, how they're actively working to oppress themselves and other people every day by participating in the system. So if you don't really have the time to, to look at that and think about that, then it's very hard to like get to this point. I'm, I will say like, I'm very privileged. Like I've always been very privileged. I come from a military family. So like the educational background that I'm working with versus like the educational background of other, like of other people, depending on like where they live in the country and you know, the demographics of their neighborhood, <laughs> you know, it's very different. It's just very different. Um, so I have to, I always have to, I always acknowledge my privilege in saying like my radicalization, it, it was a long time coming, but for somebody who is of my age, like, I guess I'm pretty young for people tell me, for me to be as like, you know, fuck the whole system as I am. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just, it's about really about being patient with yourself and the people that are around you. And I just don't think there's enough of that in this space of mm -hmm. like knowing like, okay, We've tried all these other things. These things aren't really working. There are people that still need to catch up to us. Like, how do we like how do we work within that space? Like post Bernie, I think is something that I've really been trying to like <sighs> toggle around within my brain. Um, you know, because movements can't have an expiration date, and when you attach them to a campaign or to a person, people in campaigns have expiration dates. Those things end. Um, so you know. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's just like where my brain's been as far as that all is concerned. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, you raised some uh, important points there. I, I think everybody, I you know, the only people I know who um, who grew up, uh, unless you were a red diaper baby, nobody in this country uh, was as aware as they should have been their entire lives. Uh, we all have radicalizing events or processes that happen to us. But I think the important thing to remember is that every, that we have that capacity to learn, to be open-minded uh, in order to be radicalized in the first place. So that means there's hope for everybody. So most of my life, I was a regular Democrat, um, and uh, but uh, not anymore. So, you know, that means there's hope. There's hope for the, the rest of uh, uh, people in this country. Uh, how much of uh, political education is included in your mutual aid uh, uh, work? Um, I think that, I mean, yes, we do do the direct aid, like we do furniture and stuff. Um, but as far as like workshopping, I'll probably say 40%. We definitely need to get it. We definitely need to work it on up because we've done a couple of um like abolition workshops and we've partnered with other organizations to like do um teach-ins talking about like different different topics like uh the connection between like metropolitan police department of dc and the like the idf 
and talking about how like the Israeli Defense Forces and the MPD are constantly sharing um, training mm -hmm. tactics and stuff like that. So we've done like stuff, we've done workshops around stuff like that. Um, so I'd probably say about 40%. Right now we're working to work on like more youth programs so that we can work with um, more of the uh, high schools and middle schools around DC, the DC area to catch young black youth while they're fresh, you know, get some of this black education that they don't usually get um, being in the public school system. Also letting them know like where they come from and empowering them as organizers. Because, you know, me personally, um, when I realized that my, you know, duty on this earth as a black person was to stand in the revolutionary spirit of the people that came before me, you know, that empowered me a lot. And it's, and it, it really informs my work every day. Um, knowing, uh, I'm sorry, that comment just threw me off. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No one that. yeah, sorry. I can't. Oh, that's sorry. Cool. I, that's cool. I looked down at that and I said, What in the world? <laughs> you gotta ignore the chat sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> chat, <laughs> chat gets lively. Uh, oh no, I'm I'm reading this this about Jimmy Dore fully supporting Kyle Rittenhouse. That's what I was looking at. <laughs> that threw me off, but we'll 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 uh, <laughs> contradiction, <laughs> contradictions abound. <laughs> We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but no, um, so just just knowing the importance of knowing where you come from um, and talking about the George Jacksons and all of the different political prisoners that have um, been, you know, persecuted and subjected to the abuse of the U.S. prison system just for simply fighting for their rights, talking about all the freedom fighters that have been assassinated and murdered because of um, you know, fighting for their rights. Uh, and it's just, you know, how, how are they going to know where their, what their power is and what they can change if we don't let them know the history of where they come from? Um, so that's just something that we, that we're really, really invested in right now. Um, and also we're doing a uh, seven days of, we're trying to figure out the name now, so I'm not going to brand it with a name, but we're doing seven days straight of like mutual aid, political education and things like that for um, um, Thanksgiving. I don't, you know, what the, I don't know what the decolonized. Thanks taking. You know, thanks taking. That's what Nick Estes told, uh, said to me. It was thanks taking. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. But no, so thanks taking. We're, um, we're doing um, a community cleanup. Uh, we're doing um, a another abolition workshop that's focused specifically on the history of indigenous people um, in this country. And we're partnering with um, indigenous organizations to lead that as well. Um, and so, yeah, like Freedom Fighters DC, like we are, we're out here, we're trying to just, we're, we're trying to put our hands in all the things. We're trying to learn as much as we can um, and I'm also part of another organization called Urban Temple that focuses on like nation building, black sovereignty and black popular education around that as well. So, you know, me personally, I'm always trying to like just fully immerse myself in like the organizing work and in educating myself because I feel like as an organizer, we have to be ready and willing and to learn and be open to new ideas. I'm um, not necessarily to say that we should change our ideas or you know assimilate to whatever is being presented to us in that moment, but to know you know I feel like it just get it helps you get to know like yourself better as an organizer and also depending on it could just give you more strategies um, moving forward. So I'm very mm -hmm. big on the education and yeah. so is my organization. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I mean that's good because it, it is. I mean, you know, to be honest, uh, it's lacking. I mean, it is lacking. And, and one of the thing reasons for why political education can sometimes be lacking that I think, you know, it's easy to like say, okay, the nonprofit industrial complex has like done a lot of damage. And that is totally true. But then you also have a lot of really hardcore, real true activists and organizers who are like, who are actually on the ground fighting some of the most difficult circumstances, like trying to organize for power and do political education. It's very difficult. It is difficult. And, and I just want to say one thing before I ask you a question. You know, one thing that 
um, you really angers me sometimes is is that because of this divide, right? Because of this divide of like, people who are doing political education, people who are doing organizing, there tends to be the idea that uh, you can have one without the other. So uh, there, there are a lot of folks who do think that, okay, because just you're talking about it and you're trying to get work out, that that's going to somehow ignite, you know, a revolutionary movement and then vice versa, right? Just if you're just doing activism and you're just working with people and you're fighting, you know, you're fighting the material issues that that's going to ignite a revolution. No, you actually need both. And it's only when masses of people have access to both happening at the same time, do, do, does real revolution happen? I mean, it, we can look abroad, you know, and see how, you know, it, there would be no Cuban revolution if there was a, a huge gap between these two things that we were talking about. And so I do think it's it's so important to remember that. And, and I think anyone's personal experience uh, has elements of both political education and organizing in it. Uh, and those who only have one or the other usually intend to have uh, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of challenges to work through, just like all of us, a lot of contradictions. But if you're only, you know, if you're only getting your information, let's say on YouTube, and you're not experiencing the real world, it could be quite possible that you can be taken by the, the corporate forces who in reactionaries and, and, and all the opportunists that tend to gravitate towards monetized content, and then vice versa. If you're just on the ground, you're not listening to what intellectuals, academics, what the you know, uh, what the revolutionaries, if you're not, uh, if you're not in tune with historical memory and, and studying, then yeah, you're, you're bound to repeat uh, errors. <laughs> you're about to repeat the errors of history. And, and I think uh, that's why it's so important to talk about both, but let's talk about the general strike, strike summit. Cause you, you helped organize that with the Fred Hampton uh, leftist network. And I was a part of it and I had a lot of fun. I got to talk for an hour about imperialism and, and race and talking about my own experiences in labor, my own experiences, you know, in the anti-war movement, and how no matter if you're organizing or you're doing political analysis, you you can't you can't talk about a general strike without talking about race or without talking about imperialism. But I want to know what you thought about the general strike summit. I know there was a lot of hate from those uh, big D Democrats uh, who uh, occupy the. Um, podcast sphere, the YouTube podcast sphere, but. Uh, yeah, I want to know your thoughts, reactions to it, and how you thought it went for you and the in the network in general. Um, I think it went very well. Um, I think that it did what it was supposed to do, <laughs> which was start a conversation about general strikes and um, also not only educate other people but educate everyone that's at FHL about different ways um, and different things that are needed for a general strike. One thing that I really wish that we talked about more was um, the connection between a general strike and like, like prison labor movements. Yeah, I really wish that we had touched on that more. Um, I'm not prison labor. Well, yeah, I guess prison labor. Um, and just like revolutionary movements in prisons. Like I really wish we had touched on that more because I feel like that's a community of millions of people that we don't really talk about enough, but it could be so essential to you know the revolution like to the revolutionary attitudes of a general strike um but as far as like you know i think that us having um like the union leaders like people that were actively striking i think that was very important because i feel like a lot of the time people always ask like oh well why don't you have more union leadership talking about a general strike and it's because most union leadership probably wouldn't fucking support one because it, like historically union leadership and rank and file members do not agree <laughs> on what should actually happen. Um, and a lot of the times union leadership speaks out of turn. Um, so I think that having real rank and file workers that are on the that are on the um, front lines that are trying to fight for their rights are very, is very important. It's also very important to acknowledge that union density is um, a little over 10% right now. So 89% of people that are working in this uh, um, in this country are not a part of a union as much as we'd all love them to be a part of a union. We have to also um, account for that. Um, so I think a lot of the a lot of the criticism that I was seeing, you know, for me, it felt like it was all in bad faith. I genuinely feel like um, one thing that the left could really 
use is some semblance of just like faith and solidarity and the people that are supposed to be organizing with you at the end of the day. Um, I think that we should, I don't know. I think that we should take a couple of notes from the right. <laughs> Cause I can tell y'all no matter what <laughs> their folks do, they're sticking beside them. <laughs> okay. They're going to stick beside them. And there are so many things that I feel like, you know, leftists, especially leftists that aren't closer to the establishment, to the proximity of power in this country. Like we get shit on for not going through the proper channels. You're not asking, you know, the right people to do certain things. And it's just like, why are we mirroring the system? At the end of the day, the right is not betting anyone. It seems like they're just letting anybody, any old body get up on their ballot. <laughs> so if they can have that support for people that absolutely do not deserve it, then we should be able to support, you know, activists and organizers. And I think one of the biggest issues that I see is that because we're not organized top down the way the right is, and because we're not organized top down the way the international left is, let's be very clear, the Yellow Vest right. Movement and the Labor Parties of France, they be, they talk, they collude, they do that, they work together. We don't have that relationship between our elected officials and between activists and organizers here in this country. So because of that, the people that have the proximity to power, that have the access to these people, are going to continuously defend their inaction when it comes to certain revolutionary, you know, tactics like a general strike. Um, so I think that's where a lot of it was coming from. Um, you know, I can tell y'all I've met a lot of members of the squad. Uh, I always get shit on for saying this, but I do like most of them as people. <laughs> They're cool as people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But as far as like actual progress and, you know, things getting done, we have not seen any utility in the squad yet. So... I love them all to death. I work for a congressional candidate. I mean, I guess we've won 100 AOCs in there rather than, you know, two Joe Manchins. But I mean, at the end of the day, if they're not going to do anything, if they're not actually going to use their power, then what exactly are we organizing around them for? Why are, why are we not willing to organize around tactics that we've seen in other countries and in the past in this country work? Like they've worked. Um, so it's, it's very... It's, very possible for us to get the things that we want. It's very possible for us to find ourselves in a situation where we're escalating actions and the U.S. government is also escalating, but the U.S. government has been escalating. So if that is the case, I can tell you nothing is scarier than, than what we got going on right now. <laughs> nothing is scarier than what we got going on right now. Um, so I just really wish that instead of focusing on the safe and palatable way, respectable way to do activism and organizing, instead of only focusing on that, I think maybe now we should focus on focus on tactics that are actually that's actually going to agitate and possibly get something from the power structure of this country. Because power concedes nothing without demand. And if we're, in, I'm sorry, I love marching to death. As y'all all see, I'd be marching with my little bullhorn in the street. Marching and chanting will not get us anywhere, as well. So I just think that at this time, it's time to switch it up. And it's time for all of these small D, big D, whatever Democrats that are on the left <laughs> that say that they support leftist policies. If you say that, I don't even support Medicare for all. I support universal um, anti-racist health care. Medicare for all is a Bernie. That was a Bernie platform. We have moved past Bernie. We need to talk about what it looks like to do universal health care or nationalized health care in this country. Period. That is not something that we should be attaching to any one leader. That is something that we need to be talking about actively right now, uh, re removed from whatever movement that Bernie Sanders and the squad had going from 2016 to 2020. Like we're, we have to move, we have to collectively move past that or else we're like, I just, I fear that we're going to spend so much time fighting on the left that we're going to look up and the tsunami are going to be coming and the volcanoes are going to be erupting and the earthquakes are going to be going crazy. We're already looking at climate disasters all over the, all over the world right now. And it's just, I'm just very terrified that we're going to spend all this time doing this and not doing enough like 
actual material helping and like saving people from like the you know that the detriment that is just falling upon us mm. <laughs> well you you made several good points there first of all about the, the squad or anybody else liking them as people uh but that's actually not the point if uh, they are not doing the people's business, it doesn't really matter if they are likable or not, or if their intentions are good or not. Do they fight for us? We need revolutionaries and they're not revolutionaries. So I think given their druthers, given what they would like to see, that, that we would have more uh, legislation that worked for the people. But um, the congressional leadership is determined to smash them. I mean, even the, the tiniest, uh, it's, it's interesting to me, they beat up on them so much. It's like, what are you afraid of? They don't do anything, but they're the ones who make sure that nobody comes to Congress with any big ideas about actually mm -hmm. changing anything. The House Speaker is a multimillionaire, and that's why they chose her as House Speaker. And that means anybody elected to Congress who's not a true revolutionary, who isn't willing to make enemies amongst that party is not going to do anything for us. So it's not about any of them as, as people. It's not about, about them as people. The second thing is this term, the left. So who is the left? I mean, I think you've mentioned some issues that I think are litmus test issues for anybody claiming to be on the left. If you don't want a free national health care system, whatever title you give it, you're not on the left, period. If you're not opposed to U.S. interventions around the world, you're not on the left. And I say this uh, very strongly now, having come back from Nicaragua, a relatively poor country, which nonetheless has provided a free health care for all of its people. So um, uh, so those are the things I, I think we need to point out. You, you spoke about the country moving further and further to the right. So now the word left has sometimes become meaningless, that any run-of-the-mill Democrat gets to be called a leftist. It's just not true. Um, and uh, I also wanted to point out, um, sorry, I'm going off for a bit here. Uh, um, you, you spoke of people who are uh, organizing and people do political education, that's why it's so important to have an organization where you can meet all of those needs. And, you know, no one does everything equally well. So one person may be the organizer, the other person may be the political educator. But if you have that kind of solidarity in an organized group, I think it can it can all work. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I, I want to... Uh... Yeah, just just add that. I mean, yeah, there, there's just so many directions we could take this, but but my, you know, my feeling is that I, I just watched this, uh, you know, very infuriating video. AOC basically saying that you know she listened to Abby Martin because Abby Martin confronted uh, Nancy Pelosi at COP26, and they had conversations and. So that's how movements work, right? Movements work as in you elect AOC to Congress, movements on the ground cause a ruckus, this being Abby Martin going to COP26 and actually asking a legitimate question about the fact that uh, militarism, war, U.S. intervention is basically left out of the conversation about reducing emissions, despite the fact that the U.S. military is, the, is a bigger polluter than 140 countries. And there's only about 100, you know, uh, a little over 190, I believe. So with that said, what do you think about this, um, uh, Afini? Because I think it's an important thing because we, we hear this a lot with the squad is they say that, you know, the movements are doing the movement work on the ground. We're the ones who are elected to carry out that movement work on the inside. But yet uh, we've seen time and time again, I think, where there's been actually a chasm between certain sections of the left who are saying we're trying to push you to fight harder and you're actually rejecting us um and those who are very supportive of the squad and say well we elected them to to talk the good talk and then walk the good walk as best they can and this is all they can do right now uh, what do you think of this overall situation i guess uh, when it comes to 
uh, the Democratic Party, the squad, and its relationship to social movements, uh, like the ones that you're a part of? Um, you know, I just think that, and I asked AOC this to her face. I, I asked, I said, is there any plan or any path forward where you see that you're going to be able to challenge the, the democratic establishment and even possibly move the progressive power that we have from the democratic establishment into a third party. And it was a bunch of platitudes and like politicians speaking about how like third parties don't have valid access all over the country and blah, 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 blah. Right. So <laughs> the way I see it right now is number one, like AOC and them, they do not meet with activists and organizers, like grassroots activists and organizers. They just don't. If you're not having regular meetings with activists and organizers, then you're not actually hearing anything they have to say. I can tell y'all, you know, I for, I forgot, um, I was watching this documentary and about like Congress and the way it's all set up and um, like how people get like committee assignments and stuff like that. And, you know, I found out that they spend like, I think it was like 30 or 40 percent of their time, like in that sweaty room calling donors and ask like people that take corporate PAC money. They, they send in that they sit in that like the DNC or the RNC offices and they're calling and begging people for for money. You know what I'm saying? So I'm saying, OK, if you're spending 30 to 40 percent of your time doing that, if you're if you take corporate PAC money, well, that means that the people that don't take corporate PAC money have all this time on their hands to do other things in my mind. Y'all only work like five years, five weeks a year anyway. <laughs> so if you're not taking that extra time to meet with activists and organizers and to craft legislation and policy, not even, not even crafted. There are policy think tanks that are progressive leftist, black policy think tanks that have written things out for y'all already. Just like Alec does with all the corporate, all the corporate Democrats. Why are you not just taking that up off the mantle? with their header on it and putting it on the floor and, and, and introducing it as legislation. It's because they're not actually concerned with building a movement. And that's something that, that's something that I really realized. And AOC told me herself, she was like, it's not enough to elect people, movements start in the streets. It's like, okay, you know, I can concede the fact that the left is not organized as like at all, <laughs> um, and we should be, but I can also, you know, see that a lot of people felt like they were organizing for that greater movement when they got you elected. Yeah, <laughs> a lot true. of people thought that they were organizing for that greater movement when yes. they were when they were asking and knocking on doors for fundraising for your for your campaign. They thought they were doing that. So it's like, you know, I feel like some people are kind of burned. I feel like a lot of people on the left are just burned, considering the the you know situation just went through with Bernie, AOC, and all of them. And then it's also like an, a very intentional dampening and disempowerment of voters and of organizers and of activists to say that the people are the power. And if you if right now AOC decided to text her entire you know text list or email list and say, hey we're going to do, we're going to be here tomorrow at 2 p.m., <laughs> you know, show up. I'm sure that AOC could bring a lot of folks out because she's AOC. Yes. But they don't do that. And that's very, very intentional. They have all the access to all these different people. I've worked for nonprofits. I'm sure, um, Ms. Kimberly, Ms. Kimberly, you've worked for nonprofits. I, I we, have. I, I've worked for many nonprofits, yes. I'm gonna say, like, we we work for nonprofits. We know, we know the access they have not only to vote builder, but to vote builder. You have you have Action Network. You have all these different ways to contact all these different people. You have Numero. You have all these different ways to contact all these different people. But they don't use it for that. So that's not where their priority is. So I just think that a lot of the left, because they've been burned. Like some of them are like, I don't know, some of them are holding on to like this weird, very unrealistic thing that somehow, some way the squad is going to just one day muster up the strength. Or if we just keep sending enough of them there that they're going to muster up the strength to to do something different. And that's just really not that's not the case. It's just 
not not where they want to do. They don't want to do that. If they wanted to do that, they would have done it already. AOC is going to win her seat at 80% regardless, probably yep. for the rest of her political career. They are all very comfortable. They're sitting very comfortably in their in their um in their seats. And we see, you know, what happens when they don't do the things that they're saying they're say they're gonna do. We saw a little taste of that in Virginia. If we're not gonna be organized, the right will be organized. So, I mean, people can people can continue to hitch their star to that wagon all they want. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the real power is coming from organizing as a constituency, as a proletariat, whatever you want to call it. We are the powerful ones. We are the ones whose labor contributes most of the wealth to this system. We are the ones that continuously can show up to vote for these people. All these votes, I mean, you can't tell me that these votes aren't rigged, but either way, all these people ain't voting. I don't care. <laughs> like showing up to vote for these people, showing up to campus for these people, showing up to showing up um, in a financial way to donate to their campaign. That's not where we should be putting our energy anymore. And until no. we actually pull our energy out of that, they're going to continuously feel like they can play in our faces. And that's just the reality. Maybe maybe revolution come through the ballot box, maybe, but up until now it hasn't. So because like I'm tired of like because of my measurable statistic that's telling me that it won't, I think now it's time to just change tactics. And I think that all of these Democrats that are up here, like sitting up on their high horses, the Hassan Pikers, the Kyle Kalinskis, the the um God damn it, whatever his majority report people, Emma Vigeland and them, Sam Cedar, that's the name. Sam Cedar, yep. Them folks, y'all need to get up off your high horse and get in the streets. Use your platforms to your millions, to your millions of followers that you're saying you're talking all this shit. Tell them to come outside and to do mutual aid because, and also tell them that everything you've told them for the past four years was wrong. No, we cannot win. No, we cannot get anything that we want from trying to get it through a white supremacist system that was built on stolen land by stolen people. The federal government is bought and sold. It is what it is. The power is not with those folks. The power is with us. And the more time we spend empowering each other and not trying to empower people that literally have no interest at this point <laughs> in making our lives better, I feel like the easier the revolution will go. I'm sorry. I feel like that was a lot of talking. <laughs> but you said some very important things there. And uh, I don't think we, the people you mentioned, I don't think we want them in the streets. They would be... Uh, you know the traitors. <laughs> so I would be the immediately, immediately <laughs> the uh, if I, yeah. Yes, if I saw any of them out in the streets. But I think you raise a good point <clears throat> about the limits of the electoral process. And um, when have we made the greatest gains? Everybody loves to talk about the liberation movement, uh, the civil rights movement, as people generally call it. But and fetishize it, but they don't talk about what made it successful. And people made demands on politicians. They made demands they knew politicians didn't want to meet. They didn't do what politicians told them to do. So I think that's something for us to remember. Uh, we have to be the ones, and the AOCs and the whoever else's are whatever they intended, they once they get there. They are not, uh, the, we can't hitch our wagon to any of them. Uh, after January 6th, I kept asking myself, well, why can the right get thousands of people to march on the Capitol? Can the mm. left get thousands of people to march on the Capitol? And I'm not going to say to do what they did, but for any reason, any purpose at all, mm -hmm. um, we can't, <clears throat> excuse me, we cannot depend on these people that we seem to think we can depend on. We've got to do it without them. We've got to do it in spite of them. <laughs> and uh, we've all seen this as these progressives, uh, you know, they may defeat an incumbent. They may say they don't take PAC money, but if they end up voting the same way as everybody else, what good does that do us? But they do it because they're not afraid of us. And we need to make them a little bit afraid, not in a way that's- Not a little bit. Even though the motherfuckers are going to be terrified of us. 
That ass. Yeah. Yes, it's like I'm just trying to be careful so nobody says I'm physically threatening anybody. Yeah, so we don't get shut down. <laughs> but January 6th. Is- this is the January 6th stream for the left, guys. Yeah, yeah. It? So um, <laughs> no! we, uh, we, they need to know that they don't have us. They, we're not, we don't belong to them. And if we can't get, I, I, I have a friend who, uh, like many people, went broke because he got sick. He had a cancer diagnosis. And despite having insurance, he went broke, ended up on GoFundMe. And he says, now, I'm not voting for anybody who's not for Medicare for all. If you're not talking about free national health care insurance, I'm not supporting you. And we all need to be like that. We don't have to have that experience. It's been repeated millions of times. But instead of asking <clears throat> them what they're going to do, we have to have red line is- issues. There have to be litmus test issues for us. And we have to be ready to uh, to confront them and to let them know we're going to act independently of them because otherwise we're just part of the you know uh, I, I and others have called it it's like professional wrestling with pretend villains and pretend heroes so they get to pretend to be heroes but do the same thing so it's on us on on people and you have stepped up but it's on all of us to continue to step up and not behave as if these people are our friends when when they are not. And I'm going to make a quick comment because I think I want you to, I just want you to, you know, uh, go for the, the rest of the time. We have about 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to just say that in relation to an earlier point about the squad and the Democrats, one of the things that really angers me also <laughs> is someone who you know, became a journalist analyst out of activism. That was where I was first, activism in, in community organizing. I was in unions. You know, I've seen the limitations of labor leadership. I've seen the limitations of opportunists all around, you know, who who use their capital, uh, whether it's social or economic, to steer our movements in the wrong direction. And I feel like with the squad, what has become just anyone who's been in active, anyone who's been in spaces, whether it's mutual aid or labor, anywhere, you know, you just you can just feel it in your body when somebody is exploiting the aesthetic of activism in order to further political careers. Uh, I mean, I've been a part of four, three unions, four unions, and, and of course the unions at the international level. You see this all the time, and it infuriates you because you know, at least if you're revolutionary, it infuriates you because you know that a lot of it is because there's this uh, moneyed pocket of the Democratic Party that is supposedly the 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 party that's uh, somewhat on the side of labor and so uh international unions the the, the big Where's unions the that if y'all are on the side of labor exactly exactly there's not there's not there's nothing you know there, but they but you know still that relationship persists among labor leadership and i've seen it time and time again but i feel like that this happens and what what's so unfortunate about it but it's it, it speaks to the need for self-criticism i want to just say this is a plea for self-criticism for those on the Bernie left, the squad left, it's that social movements, you need a critical mass. If you're going to win things, you need a critical mass. That doesn't mean you need everybody. doesn't mean you need 300 million people minus the ruling class or whoever. No, you just need a critical mass of people willing to risk uh, their, you know, whatever it is, their livelihoods, uh, whatever it is, take concerted collective action to uh, around demands in order to you might not get them but you'll get something something will happen in that situation and that's what causes the transformation process to really accelerate and i think a lot of people did believe that oh if we come together and millions of people did this come together we we vote the squad and bernie sanders will be president and then we got that moment you know the, the more the most principled of them the most principled not the the big d democrats who were all from the beginning just sheepdogging but the young people the the working class the young you know people younger than even me saying yeah that's what we want we want this thing to we want this thing to blow up and we believe that they'll help it. and they and it didn't happen you know <laughs> and now they're con- and now there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of you know political electoral kind of pearl clutching and oh no we can't we can't criticize them they're the only good ones so so with that said that's just uh, my thoughts on <laughs> uh, what came up in that conversation for me but you know we have about, about like what 7 minutes to go or so in this stream 
you know, I don't know if you have any reactions to what we uh, just said, or if you want to plug something, something's going on um, that you really want to plug, but you could do both at the same time. I'll leave it to you. Um, well, one thing I really wanted to, one point I really wanted to go back to um, was like, what is the left? Like who is on the left and who mm. is not? I genuinely feel like we have to make a decision. You know, because a lot of us read Marx, Lenin, and Mao, and no one puts it into practice. Like Mao, especially, like Mao put his, all of it into practice. It was a practice. It was a praxis for him. It wasn't just he didn't just put all this stuff in the books. Everyone so, read on practice. Ironically, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a really good piece. <laughs> you know, like I just I don't know. Like it's just it's frustrating because. I feel like if you're on the left, you have to be you have to be anti-imperialist. And the reason why you have to be anti-imperialist is because the US is the number one polluter in the world. Why is that? Because of our military. You have to be anti-imperialist because if you believe Black Lives Matter, well, Joe Biden dropped bombs in Somalia. <laughs> so if Black Lives Matter, they didn't matter globally. If you like, there's just so many different, like there are so many different reasons to be an anti-imperialist in this, in, in this, you know, space. And if you claim to be a communist and you're not anti-imperialist, you're wild. Like, I just, <laughs> there's no way. I mean, it's, it's not <laughs> true. Yeah. So <laughs> but no, there are so many people that have like the, the title without the actual praxis behind it. So it's just like, there are so, like... At this point, we should all be anti-imperialists if we're if we say that we're on the left. If you are on the left, you have to be anti-racist. There are a lot of folks, and you know, Jimmy Dore included, <laughs> who I do not like <laughs> because I feel like their anti-racism is not where it needs to be in order to be in community with me or with any other black people in this movement, period. Like I feel like there are just we have to be comfortable with actually setting some rules and some limits. <laughs> like, you know, you can't be of the right if, like, there are the certain things that you that you have to be to be a right winger. I feel like you you have to be pro police if you're a right winger. Right winger. You have to be, you know, somewhat pro life if you're a right winger. Depending on if you're like a hard line, there are lines, and if you're not that. They, they, they will, they'll shit on you. All those never Trump Republicans, a majority of the Republican Party shit on them <laughs> for a very long time. We, I feel like we do a similar thing, but we just do it for people that are actually supporting our principles. <laughs> like it's just very strange energy on the left. Very, very strange energy. And I would say, <laughs> seriously, I would just say that if there is anybody at this point that is trying to deter you from being from doing a general strike, they're probably not of the left. If there's anybody that is trying to deter you from, you know, talking about defund the police or or talking about defunding, dismantling the military, probably not a leftist, you know, because they're just we, we just have to be able to say, like, that's not it. Like, that's liberalism. If you like, if you want to be a liberal, call yourself a liberal. If you're a Democrat, be a Democrat. I promise you, Democrats, they are pro-police. They're all of those things. They are, they are not anti-racist. You have a home with them because you can put BLM in your bio and I actually mean it with Democrats. As a leftist, though, you have to, you have to put your money where your mouth is. And I think that now I think it is okay, it is okay to limit the left to people that are actively organizing or actively supporting organizing oh. and that's it <laughs> you know like you have to be anti-imperialist you have to be anti-racist and you have to be supporting organizers or organizing in some capacity period i, I would add you have to be anti-capitalist absolutely yeah. and these democrats are capitalists so yeah. you know they they're they are not the, the way for us. And uh, I, I think those principles of unity, anti-capitalism, anti-imperialism, those are the litmus test issues that tell you uh, where, where people stand. And I, I just want to say quickly, I know we only have a couple minutes left. I 
recently came back from Nicaragua and it was so inspiring to see in action people struggling uh, to have uh, um, a government that's uh, opposed by the United States to struggle uh, to fight for themselves uh, under some pretty big odds, uh, to see yeah. revolutionary heroes lifted up. Uh, we have to be internationalists as well. Yeah. So um, I, I think that's, um, that's something that we all have to know. And we can't debate whether some other country should do this or do that. As uh, USians, we have to oppose US imperialism and say that mm. sanctions against Nicaragua or Iran or Venezuela or Cuba or Eritrea or every place or any place else are um, wrong, a violation of international law and um, uh, something that we will work against. So, and yes, that is tied to mutual aid and all the other yeah. things that we, that we talked about. Yeah. And I want to yeah, just, add, yeah, oh no, go, go, go ahead, me, please. Uh, I was Go just going to say one of the things I really want to dedicate maybe the rest of my life to is, you know, we need organizers, activists, journalists, analysts, whoever you are in the movement, uh, you need to see some victories. You need to see people who have right. really won exactly. things. Uh, you know, you need to get out of the U.S. and see that it's so important. I mean, I would... You know, uh, Nicaragua, I'm jealous of you, Margaret. I really want to go. But I've been to Cuba, I've been to China, and it's like people sacrificed a whole lot for these revolutions, have won a whole lot, and we can learn a whole lot. Even if we can't uh, export their struggles, we can certainly integrate and we can certainly learn. And that's one of the things that I think sometimes can get lost by a lot of folks who are Americanized and feel very arrogant and also stuck in the morass and the swamp of liberalism. Like anything, if you're not debating revolution, if you're not debating, uh, if you're not discussing or debating how to win power, and then if your theory for winning power ultimately has never been done before, never been tried before, never has any historical experience, I'm talking about some people on the uh, anarchist left, then you're likely still liberal. <laughs> you know, you're likely still hearkening to uh, our class enemies. Uh, but anyway, uh, Afina, I want I want you to clo close out. Please, uh, after your point, you know, plug where, where people can find you. Um, you know, I just, I want to say also that I feel like a lot of folks on the left, their criticisms are based in vitriol and pain and emotion. And all of that makes sense considering um mm. but i think that as we move forward i would love to move to a place where we're having conversations with constructive criticism and we're growing mm -hmm. and we're and we're shifting as a movement that doesn't get so hostile <laughs> like you know if people had genuine concerns about the general strike summit i feel like there needs to be space for those conversations to be had about how things can be improved if people have genuine concerns about where the organizing space is going as a whole the ways that we can better it the ways that we can be more um serious about our anti-racism our anti-capitalism and you know like what that looks like we should have those conversations and not yeah. feel like they're personal attacks um because we are trying to build community here and like one thing i know is that it's a lot easier to take criticism from somebody that you feel like is coming at you um, with your best interest in heart. And I just feel like because of all the competition and all that stuff, people are not taking it the right way. I want to be very clear, you know, we have to criticize with radical love in our hearts, knowing mm -hmm. that we're all trying to grow as a movement and as revolutionaries. Um, so that's something that's just super, super important to me that I did not see over this past week. If you're going to come at me and my mentions, make sure you come in with some constructive criticism or else you're going to get cussed out. <laughs> um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, as far as where people can find me, um, you can follow my grassroots org um, on Twitter at FFDC2020, on Instagram at Freedom Fighters DC, spelled out in those spaces. Um, and you can find me um, anywhere at red with two D's is Ari. Um, and just, you know, let's let's have conversations. Let's love on each other. Let's realize that we're all just fighting for basic human rights. Like we just at the end of the day, we all just want to have housing. Black people want to have reparations. You know, 
women want to have equal pay. Like we're all just fighting for human rights here, for equity. So let's just keep that in mind as we're having those conversations moving forward. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, this was this was great, Afini. Uh, Thanks so much for spending the hour with us. Uh, much solidarity to you and all the work that you're doing. And uh, yeah, we, sh- we should talk again very soon, I hope. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Talk to y'all soon. Thank All you. Right. Take care, Fini. Um, I just want to close out and say, uh, you know, this was a great show. Uh, Margaret, of course, thanks for coming on um, and co-hosting this. I think it went really well. Uh, yeah, so, you know, if you were on here, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure you like this video because that helps boost it in the algorithm. Yeah, I don't know, Margaret, do you have any last final thoughts before we, we close out here? There's a, a lot for us to contemplate about uh, about her work. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, I think we, we kept coming back to uh, a point about liberalism and about the limits of uh, electoral politics. I think that's very important because in this country where we're so indoctrinated uh, to think about electoral politics, but which then doesn't do anything for us. Um, I, I think it's very, very important for us to uh, remember that that can be a trap for people who really want to see radical change. And we've got to be very careful um, and, and work independently as, um, as a Finney is doing. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, that's it for today, tonight's show, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with all of you. Uh, Margaret and I will hopefully come back together as soon as we possibly can because there's a lot to cover. Thanksgiving is on the way. It's gonna be a long. It's gonna be a long winter of struggle. So, with that said, uh, take good care, everyone. Much solidarity, um, and we'll be with you again soon. Until next time. Thank you all. Peace out. <laughs>